Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. As I am speaking, Xi Jinping is headed to Mar-a-Lago for his first big meeting with Donald Trump. The U.S.-China relationship is arguably the most consequential bilateral relationship in the world, so naturally this trip is garnering a lot of attention. But what is actually on the agenda, and how might U.S.-China relations shift in the coming years under President Trump? I put these questions and more to Susan Jakes, who is editor of The China File and senior fellow at Asia Society's Center on U.S.-China Relations. She discusses why the optics of this meeting are so meaningful to both sides, how the domestic politics in China inform a trip like this, and why the irksome and threatening actions of North Korea may become an increasingly important aspect of U.S.-China relations. If you have 20 minutes and want to learn more about the key elements of the relationship between the U.S. and China and how they may evolve in the coming year, have a listen. And as always, I do love hearing from you. Let me know what's on your mind. If you have any questions for me, if you have suggestions of people I may interview, topics I may cover, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and get in touch with me via the contact link. And while you are there, become a premium subscriber to the podcast to unlock loads of bonuses, including bonus episodes, offers, opportunities, Just click on the support the show link to become a premium member and you will unlock these rewards. And now here is Susan Jakes. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You may remember that they, you know, they didn't exactly get off to a good start during the campaign. Trump attacked China for stealing American jobs. He said he was going to label the country a currency manipulator on day one. He said China was raping our economy, and pick pick your favorite. Um, but he really um, positioned China in his campaign rhetoric as the major target of his blame for the loss of American jobs. The period, you know, immediately after his inauguration was also kind of rocky. He accepted a call from Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen to congratulate him. And then when he was, um, criticized for that, he kind of doubled down and suggested at one point that he would blow up, you know, more than 30 years of um, U.S. diplomatic practice and maybe not honor the one-child policy. Sorry, the one-China policy. Not the the one-China policy. Not the one-child policy. Even China doesn't. That that ended. That ended back in 2015, right? It did. And, uh, you know, and then he, over the course of about, I think it was about two weeks, he 
he kind of walked that back and he and uh, President Xi had a, a phone call where in what seemed to be a very um, scripted way, uh, he reaffirmed the one China policy in our the U.S. Uh, the U.S.'s commitment to that, but so that that's the contact that they've had that phone call, and so this is going to be their first official meeting. And, and so it's sort of a little more obvious, I think, to me and, and many of my my listeners of what the stakes are politically in the United States for the outcome of this meeting. But what, if from a, like a Chinese perspective? What are are some of their big like asks or or their big uh, agenda items for this meeting? Yeah, I think um, for the for China for Xi, um, and really this is true of um, the Chinese leadership in its foreign policy in general. Um, the priority is on stability, predictability. Um, you know, maintaining the status quo, no major changes. And I think um, in many ways that is often uh, the focus of of Chinese diplomacy vis-a-vis the United States. There are some exceptions, but um, particularly given uh, how um, differently this White House has conducted their foreign policy um, thus far, and given the kinds of um, signals that they've sent, I think Xi Jinping's um, probably coming into this meeting wanting to have um, some nice photo ops where they both look strong. I mean, these are both both presidents who are who are very concerned about their image of strength. So he needs to come out of this meeting looking like he has been um, a strong counterpart to Xi. Um, and um, and then I think on the the you know one of the major issues they're going to discuss is trade. Um, China's preference is going to be for a, a maintenance of the status quo. Um, and you know I think again, given the circumstances, it's unlikely that um, she is going to make any big asks. Uh, at this meeting, but of course, China is interested in having, um, you know, greater, um, fewer restrictions on technology transfers to China, a couple of things like that. But I think the main focus is really going to be on having a good meeting, looking good, having a frank conversation, not having anything um, explode. So, so, so like a boring meeting, kind of a boring outcome a would boring, be like the boring, ideal outcome from a Chinese think, perspective. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I was remembering in part because everybody's thinking about North Korea these days, but I was remembering that during the period of time when um, the U.S. and China and four other countries were having these uh, six-party talks over North Korea's nuclear program, the, the kind of... Uh, Good news when you got to the got through a round of uh, those talks was often there was no breakthrough, but there was no breakdown. And I, I feel like that would probably be okay for this meeting from from China's perspective. Now, now f- uh, from an, an American perspective, I should say one yeah, other. Sir, go ahead. Yeah, you know the fact that um, that tr- that President Trump uh, did have this lengthy, lavish intense golf filled summit with uh, president Ab- Shinzo Abe of Japan. Um, you know, 
that is bound to make um, the Chinese feel like they want to get some of the same kinds of optics. Um, so, uh, right. They don't want it. They don't want it to seem like she wouldn't want it to seem like, uh, president Abe got much better treatment from president Trump than, than he did. That would be, but famously she is not going to golf. He's not, he's not a golfer. She's not going to golf. Right. And so it's complicated because she, she is not going to, um, you know, the, the, the Chinese diplomats like very tightly scripted, um, very protocol laid in, uh, interactions. And, um, so, you know, there will be the desire to at least have some of the markers of, um, of having achieved some sort of parity with the Abe visit, but again, um, without a lot of the kind of more fun. It's just fascinating how meaningful optics are, uh, for, for the Chinese government and for Xi in, in particular. I mean, I think they're also important for President Trump. Um, uh, it's true. I mean, I think optics are important in in diplomacy, uh, and and um, the Chinese do tend to to place a lot of emphasis on them. You know, so, where people stand, what it, what what is the um, order in which leaders walk into a room? There's a there is a lot of focus on. Um, so, so beyond this uh, specific meeting, I would be kind of curious to learn your thoughts on sort of the trajectory of uh, U.S.-China relations, like the the how the geopolitics of sort of the U.S.-China relations may may change uh, over during the Trump administration as opposed to the Obama administration. I mean, Obama famously um, had his Asia pivot, uh, which focused a lot of attention on shoring up alliances in. The region to counterbalance China, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is is obviously probably the the uh, pinnacle of of that effort. On the Chinese side, it's probably fair to say that they are also looking for for ways to counterbalance the U.S. I mean, I'm thinking of the Asia Infrastructure Development Bank, which is sort of a Chinese counterweight. Some would argue to the World Bank. Um, how might you know? The, the, Trump obviously has has gotten rid of the TPP, or as uh, distance himself, the U.S., United, the United States, from the TPP. So, like, how how might these uh, relationships sort of evolve over the next uh, few years? Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around those questions. Probably. Well, more that's why I'm asking you. Ever been? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there are no answers, there are no answers. Um, but um, you know, it's it's seems from what I um, have read and, and, and heard, which is, um, you know, involves no, no special information that there is within the Trump administration itself, um, you know, uh, uh, that there are competing views about, um, how to interact with China and the extent to which the relationship with China is going to be, um, recalibrated. Um, so, you know, I, I guess to, to describe it crudely on, on one side is the kind of, uh, Bannon, Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro wing that seems to be, um, uh, seems to favor a much more aggressive posture toward China on trade. Um, uh, and then, 
you know, there were early signals from Secretary of State Tillerson in his confirmation hearings that he was inclined to take a much more aggressive posture um, in the South China Sea. Um, and then on the other side, um, there are people like the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who seem to be much more inclined to um, work cooperatively with the Chinese uh, and not to put up so much of a fuss about um, about the the trade imbalances. So, um, you know, tr Trump is focused um, on jobs above all, or he says he is. And of course, part of the problem is that China is not really the culprit in the loss of American manufacturing jobs. Um, you know, this is a widely held consensus view among economists. Automation is a major factor in the internationalization of manufacturing and supply supply chains more broadly is a factor. And, you know, lots of things that we buy are made in one place and maybe then assembled in China. So China's, um, changing its bilateral trade practices are pretty unlikely to be the panacea for the problem of lost jobs in America in the way that Trump has said it would. But, you know, on the other hand, there is a very unequal relationship in terms of our trade. Our markets, our markets are by and large um, open to Chinese investment and theirs in many key areas are closed um, to ours. So China restricts market access in automobiles and agriculture and healthcare and financial services and many other sectors. Um, and the question is how to, one question is how to address that. Uh, and can you address it bilaterally or do we need a more regional approach um, on, on an issue like this? Um, and nothing that I've seen suggests that the Trump administration has a very thoroughly thought out approach to this problem. Um, you know, if anything, we just see these internal divisions. And, um, you know, that's a very difficult way to go into such a high stakes well, summit. And, and, and that, I think, also speaks to what seems to be very disparate domestic political situation both leaders find themselves in with Trump relatively politically weak and, and uh, Xi, uh, on the other hand, being sort of in a process of consolidating his power. I think in terms of American domestic politics, as I understand them, this kind of a meeting um, is pretty unlikely to be very important to most American voters. Um, you know, despite the fact that China was such a touchstone of, of Trump's campaign, most Americans, you know, couldn't tell you who the president of China was if you asked them. And I, I just don't feel like... Um, relations with China are tend to be a central issue for um, U.S. voters. In China, um, there is a lot of emphasis on, on, you know, whether China is getting respect in the world, um, you know, whether it's showing leadership, and, and Chinese people do actually care about that. So one thing that I thought was kind of telling that a colleague pointed out is that, um, you know, this morning I saw there was a Fox News headline about President Xi's schedule, which said he's doing a stopover in Finland on his way to his summit with President Trump. Um, but Xinhua, the Chinese official news agency, in their description of his itinerary said President Xi is going on a state visit to Finland and then he's going to make a little stop off in the U.S. to uh, have a little meeting with President <laughs> Trump. So I think... Um, that suggests to me uh, and to this uh, this colleague that 
that, you know, there's an effort to manage expectations um, and that the Chinese may be a little uncertain that this is going to really uh, be a kind of uh, um, the kind of meeting that they like to trumpet. Right. When, when Xi Jinping visited the UK and rode in a carriage with Queen Elizabeth, you know, that was pictures of that meeting were on the cover of every major Chinese newspaper, these giant pictures of them running the carriage together. So when, when the meetings go well, um, they can be a tool for sort of for uh, nurturing, you know, a kind of nationalist sentiment that is positive for for uh, Xi Jinping. But I think in this case, there's a there's a bit of downplaying, uh, probably as a result of uncertainty about what's going to happen. Um, so it seems that one issue that will certainly be on the agenda and a key uh, issue between the United States and China for some time is the North Korea nuclear uh, problem. So uh, to that end, I mean, what opportunities do you see in the future for greater U.S.-Chinese cooperation on uh, North Korea? Like what, what else, what other... Like, how can that uh, that part of the relationship evolve productively for both sides? Um, it's really, really tricky for both sides. Um, and it has always been um, a very um, delicate issue. Um, and I think, um, you know, we're now um, at a point where North Korea uh, is more... I mean, this has been going on for years, right? North Korea seems to be much, much closer uh, to being able to launch a nuclear missile. Um, and um, President Trump said it in, in this uh, interview that he did with the Financial Times over the weekend, well, if China doesn't help us, we'll just go it alone. Um, well, what does that mean practically? And what can that mean? You know, in, in the past, the, uh, the U.S. has tried to work with China to put pressure on North Korea to um, curb their nuclear program in various ways um, because China is the main source of economic support for North Korea, its closest ally, its neighbor, and actually does wield influence. Uh, the tricky thing is that the Chinese never want to put too much pressure on North Korea economically um, because, well, one, they worry that that's something they have to calibrate carefully, especially with a leader like Kim Jong-un. Could they lose their influence? They certainly don't want to lose that influence. Um, but probably more importantly, they're concerned that if they're, you know, if they put too much economic pressure on North Korea, then the country could collapse and then they have um, a collapsed country right on their border. Uh, they do not want that to happen. That would be very destabilizing for the region. Um, so they're always walking a fine line and, um, you know, how the health of the U.S.-China relationship plays a role in our ability to get the Chinese to take uh, the risks that are often necessary to put more pressure on North Korea. Well, well, I mean, so to that end, adopting a more confrontational approach vis-a-vis -vis trade or other issues might underline the strategic objectives on North Korea. Uh, I might undermine. Undermine, pardon, yeah. not under, yeah. undermine. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. this is a this is what's tricky um, about uh, diplomacy, and you know, about this relationship in particular, is that there are um, many different there are many different 
bilateral and multilateral relationships that we have with China. And, um, uh, you know, I think in the past, China has actually tended to be better at um, compartmentalizing different issues than we sometimes um, have given them credit for. Um, so, you know, when there are um, areas where the U.S. and China can cooperate that are in China's interest, um, then, uh, you know, generally uh, China will pursue those uh, to some extent, regardless of what's happening in other areas of the relationship. And, um, you know, I think uh, I think that's in some ways that's what that's kind of the best that we could hope for in, 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 at least in the current state of the relationship, there are major, major disagreements between our countries and, um, you know, we have to, the two countries have to have a relationship. And so to the extent that it's possible for there to be cooperation in some areas, even if there's disagreement in others and not have the cooperation, um, not have the, uh, cooperation be undercut by the other areas of conflict. Um, yeah, that that's what you would hope for, but that becomes very difficult when um, there are, um, you know, when there's so much uncertainty about just the the basic unfolding of meetings, um, you know, or what kinds of statements might get made on either side. So. Um, you know, the, the Chinese like to operate uh, in an environment where they can predict what's going to happen. Well, now that, like, that's probably what makes the relationship with, with Trump so interesting and, and so difficult is that he is uh, the most unpredictable you know, president of, of our lifetime. So that's kind of his MO so far is to be sort of kind of predictably unpredictable. Yeah. And there are people, there are longtime observers of China, including um, my a boss, Orville Shell, who have said, well, maybe a little unpredictability will kind of shake things up in a good way and, um, you know, keep the Chinese on their toes. And, um, you know, and that's sort of uh, how Trump himself at times has has uh, talked about this right, in, in the sort of um, under the rubric of art of the deal type of negotiation. But um and most people that uh, most of the people that I know who have been most deeply involved over the longest period of time in di diplomacy with China um, don't tend to think that uh, unpredictability is a good strategy. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. This was really helpful. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Thank you all for listening. Obviously, a timely conversation. I thought that was helpful. I suspect you found it helpful as well. See you soon. Bye.